Hello and welcome to chapter 16 of the Battle Royale podcast. Poison. I'm your host as always, Edward Jones, and joining me of course is my co-host, the Professor Mr. Stephen Palmer. Heidi hi campers. Tonight we're also joined by a very special guest from many, many podcasts now. Um, you know her from the Why This Film, something about Suffolk, the Beyond, uh, Through Dangers Untold. It's of course the one and only Miss Emily Slade. Hello! I love that I'm like racking up more and more podcasts every time I like join you guys. It's like, and I've got another one! <laughs> I know, and even as we came on tonight, you were talking about your future project that you got coming up down the line yes. with my own co-host, no less. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm cheating on you now, Elwood. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sort of using both of you, I guess. I'm breaking up the relationship. Uh, you're the Yoko in this. I'm the Yoko in this and you're both the, the Beatles. <laughs> oh no. No, 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 don't go there, Emily. No. Please. <laughs> no. If anything, we represent obviously he's like the McCartney and I'm the Ringo, you know, the true talent of the Beatles there. Was Ringo That's the why he was only allowed to sing two songs. <laughs> yeah, Ringo's the Ringo's the real brains behind the operation. In an octopus's garden. Yeah. <laughs> and what did he do? Favorite. Is cuckoo kachoo? I am the Eggman. Oh, the, I am the walrus. Yeah. No, I am the Eggman. Is <laughs> <laughs> the walrus? Then he's the Eggman. Cuckoo kachoo. Mm. <clears throat> this is a musical episode. I see. <laughs> <laughs> if you thought this conversation was baffling, wait till you look at tonight's chapter, as we're going to be looking at, once again at the girls of the lighthouse, which. It's probably one of the more complex setups that we can have on the island, especially when two of the characters have very similar names. But on our previous episodes, we obviously woke up uh, with uh, Shinja, who was being recovering at the lighthouse, where we got a quick recap of what's been happening while he was unconscious, um, as our alpha female racked up another couple of kills. Um, and we also got the find out what happened to two of the best friends who, sadly, their story wasn't covered on the film. But as we covered on our previous episode, it's probably one of the more interesting yet bizarre stories that uh, you can read about, obviously, in the manga. But um, just to obviously recap, the Lighthouse Girls uh, consist of uh, Yuko, um, Tatsumuchi, uh, Yuki, Yak Yuka, Satomi, Harakura and Chisito. I'm going to apologize again if I mispronounce any of those names because Japanese is really hard. Um, the girls themselves are actually the subject of a spin-off manga called Angel's Border which consists of two chapters and you can obviously find out through that how the girls came to arrive really at the lighthouse how they've formed this own little community there um even to the point where they've set up their own sort of security where they take turns going on watch and stockpiling resources though what their big end game is it's really unclear because the general plan seems to be just to sit out and wait this thing out so be really interesting to see if that how that worked out if we'd actually finally got to the uh the big countdown at the end and uh, they were still there but uh, what do we obviously think of this this setup here? Because I mean, it's obviously one of the more unique groups here. We've obviously got at this point, we're at the point where you're either a hunter or you formed a little sort of clique, as we've obviously seen with the third man and his two two core cohorts. Um, 
We've also got uh, Chuya, who's um, teamed up with uh, with Guada, um, and they've got their obviously they've got their plan as unreliable as it is to escape the island. So, and now we obviously have this uh, fair group, which is the Lighthouse Girls. So, what do we obviously think of the Lighthouse Girls as a group, really? I love them. I think it's a really good example that there would have been certain people that really tried to stay calm and they've got a good mixture of abilities and leadership. And the idea, I think, is that one of them sort of thought about it as they left the building and as the people came out, were able to not get killed before being like, hey, do you want to like hang out? And they're all like very reasonable and sensible and they find the lighthouse and luckily it never gets put on the map as a place of like you have to leave here now so they were able to just lock the doors and they seem to have been living really civilized and peacefully and it's just really lovely it's just such a nice thing to come into which of course makes it so much worse when (laughs) the action unfolds but to start off with it's it's so refreshing I really love it yeah, I'm surprised. You know, obviously this isn't real; it's a film and a book and a play. And but it's I'm surprised there isn't more people that decided to do this. I'm surprised at the number of people that ran off on their own or maybe in pairs, because <coughs> um, yeah, I think I think strength is the um, you know strength in numbers is probably their best best route out of this because if they all decided not to play. Then the they, game would, is, they would all die, but yeah. <laughs> but 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 you all die, and you don't have to kill your friends. Yeah. Um. But would they all die? Maybe they've all been given. Some of them yes. have got some pretty fucking good weapons, especially this bunch. This mm. is the best armed community in 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 battle royale. Um. I think I think I think you know with a with a with a little bit of organisation and maybe them going to school the last year and learning battle tactics, they could um they could maybe take on no and you know joking aside I think I, I'm surprised there aren't more groups like this 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 kind of makes sense although it is predicated on the fact that the lighthouse isn't made a a, a, a necklace blowing up area and um, they they were quite picky like in the sort of external information. Uh, that's out of the film they talk about how they made specific choices like uh, um, Chugusa they were like no she's not a team player and she's in Mitsuku's gang so we're not going to go with her like they they really thought about who they were going to let into the lighthouse and it did work out in their favor apart from you know they let a psycho in <laughs> well, I mean, we say, say the fact that they let a psycho in there, but I mean, she gets this idea into her into her head. Uh, Yuko does that. She is this demon because she sees him embedding his axe into Tatsumuchi, uh, even though it's sort of accidental. You know, when they fell down down the hill, she sort of sees the aftermath of this and assumes that he's like this demon who's trying to kill them. And it's interesting the fact, just obviously thinking about it before we came on the air, the fact that you've got this whole like black narcissist sort of society. You've got this group of women who are obviously living out isolated from the rest of this so-called society. And then with the introduction of a man into their society that everything just goes to shit. God, it's like black narcissist, isn't it? Like you said, Oh my <laughs> yeah. God. Oh my God. I hadn't seen that. Um, um, 
the thing that bothers me is that you know obviously we saw Yuko see and you know it's easy to misunderstand things I suppose in this high high pressure scenario but everybody loves Shia how can she be so on her own not to question what she saw and again it suffers because it's a movie they can't really go into stuff I remember Mm. the manga was my always my favorite version and in the manga they really go into how she's like a child of religion and she's got this um these principles deep inside of her where when she sees she uh, killed the other guy he looks like an actual like hellish demon to her and it's interesting i know what you're saying re black narcissus but uh, it's hard because it is the introduction of the man but it's it's because she's so broken and damaged inside and in the book it's because she's a child of abuse um it's if Black Narcissus went on for one minute, 30 seconds, maybe. But... Yeah, yeah. And again, because, you know, the woman in Black Narcissus is, like, mentally unstable and quite mm. ill and should be given attention. And, of course, you can't seek therapy on the Battle Royale island during the game. That I don't think they have posts of people that are like, do you just need to talk? We've got about five minutes before this area blows up. Um, but, yeah, it's... Um, it's it's just like a sort of classic tragedy, isn't it? It's very like Greek and like Shakespearean almost in its build up and tension and um, very Reservoir Dogs. But it, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that there is a spin-off manga of these mm. girls and this story as well, because one of the things I think I'm I struggle with. There are a lot of characters here, and yeah, they've all got some similar names as Yuko and Yuki and Yuka. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Um But um, I would have liked to have known them a bit more. Mm-hmm. They are. You know, there's, there's some interesting stuff going on. Some of them, why are some of them wearing school uniform and some of them wearing their PE uniform? Um, how, you know, I'd, I'd like to have known. Obviously, you've, you, you know, from reading the novel or from reading the manga, you've got some more background on these characters. But as, you know, mm-hmm. from, from just watching the film, I'd love to know more about those dynamics because they all seem very friendly. And like you say, they've set up this little um, little utopia within within Battle Royale. And how quickly it falls to pieces or it makes me wish mm. I'd spent a little bit longer with them. But I think that about a lot of things in this film, you know, yeah. I, I, I still would love, I'd love to see this as a TV show. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to see this in a sort of Damien Lindelof flashbacks, you know, like, um, I don't know, like Lost or The Leftovers or something like that, where, where yes, the actual time frame of the, of, of the series season could still just be two nights but we could spend years in the place of, of the other characters and finding out how they get on and how those dynamics work. That, that, yeah, that, and that, how that, they that. lead up. Because you get hints of it here, like um, Satomi, uh, they talk about how she's she's not sleeping, she's got insomnia and she's got sleeping pills. And like obviously the other one's got this, this sort of suspicion of Shuya and this fear of Shuya. Um, and all of the little interrelationships play into each other, which causes the sort of overall tragedy. And yeah, it's a shame that it's just like brief sentences during the hysteria that we get for these women who are 
doing really well. <laughs> like... Well, they've set up. They've set. They've set up a lookout. They've got. Like I said, they're the best armed group. Um, yeah. they, 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 they seem other than um, other than uh, uh, what's the self Yuko. You know, they seem as we meet them fairly well adjusted. There's a little mm-hmm. bit of gentle ribbing going on about, oh, look, Shaya's here and you fancy him. Aren't you the luckiest girl in the world? And bouncing around. And... Oh, yeah, they're very <laughs> detached, aren't they? Because they've, they've had this false sense of security because of the position that they are and the fact that everyone else is sort of heading towards the centre of the island when you look at the paths that they're all taking. And the fact that they're one of the few groups that managed to survive on the outskirts um, there is a, there in, this, is... in this lighthouse. So they've they've not really seen much sort of action they've heard of the, the the announcements of other classmates that have sort of been killed but the rest of the time they've been sort of left alone so they've got this very sort of false sense of security and with that you kind of become very lax and that's why they you find them sort of ribbing each other which you don't really get with the other groups who are just like constantly either hunting for other people or putting the working on their own plans like when we look at the third man he's just like constantly working on his on his uh, computer there, hacking away, and his little minions that are going off getting his shopping list of stuff and complaining about it. Um, yeah, it's like we're able to relax briefly within the film. We're able to take some time to just be like, oh, yeah, hmm. these are like kids, and like we're safe in the lighthouse constraints, and we can just sort of breathe for a bit, and we then can, instantly um... it's like, ah! <laughs> We can join them in their group denial. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, and of course, the lighthouse itself, that's quite a interesting um, device. You know, lighthouses historically, you know, have been a very male domain. The lighthouse keeper mm-hmm. almost always was a man um, or men, um, lonely, detached from society. Um, yeah. Very phallic. The, yes, this phallic object piercing the sky. Yeah. Yes, um, so it's kind of interesting. It's a group of women in there, and, and a group of women as opposed to a single man. Yes, um, mm-hmm. interesting. I'm sure it means something. I think it's just a good idea of a place. Like it makes sense on an island to have a lighthouse, and it's a it's a safe place to have held up, and. You know, the girls even discuss it themselves. They're like, no boys allowed because they're <laughs> fucking murderous. Because as we all know, a man is terrified a woman will humiliate or upset him. And a woman is terrified that a man will kill her. Um, so no boys allowed. Um, <laughs> so they let Shuya in. Uh, it's a big, big deal. It's a big risk to their safety. Um, and it is. <laughs> like it ends up being awful. <laughs> they assume as well that he, because he's so badly banged up, um, and pretty much unconscious, that you know that he's somehow a lesser threat to him. And the fact that they can lock him in in the room um, and it feels and basically interrogate more... him rather than just let him wander around. Yeah, and it feels more mature. It feels more sensible. You get the idea that these are like. You know, we know they're like the volleyball captains and the sort yeah. of class prefects, as it were, and the sort of smart, capable women. Because you compare it to the two girls that were, had the megaphone that were like, oh, everyone, just come to the top of this hill. We can all just be friends. And then they get like shot in the face. 
these women yeah. are like playing it smart, but they're still very empathetic and helpful and kind where they're like, look, we're not going to let Shuya rot on our doorstep. We're going to bring him in and we're going to tend to his wounds um, because we're decent people and we haven't forgotten that. And again, that's really nice as we're watching all the other students go kind of feral, um, even ones that we support and love um, end up stamping on people's testicles and stuff. So it's nice to have this moment of like, people are good until they're not. <laughs> yeah, almost in many ways you could see it as also kind of like a nod to the beguiled. With uh, Shuya playing the Clint Eastwood or Corin Farrell um, character who's brought into this all female community and is, but is that, has become this object of interest. This is the thing, I, I've not seen any of the Beguiles, but isn't that because they all like fancy him and then they kill each other over him? Well, one of them, fan one of these girls fancies uh, Shuya. Yeah, yeah, but it's uh, not the cause about of the yeah, problem. So yeah, and in the, so in, in the Clint Eastwood Beguiled, yes, there is, there is a bit of sexual tension. But there's also the fact that he's from the other side of the Civil War. Right. I haven't seen. I haven't seen the remake, so I don't know. Yeah, basically, the general gist is because he's this injured soldier. In this case, she is injured. That he somehow loses any sort of threat to them, and the fact that they can keep him locked up and that they can control his movements um, that basically removes the threat to them, even though the obviously the fact that the male in the presence sort of awakens other feelings within the group, which is obviously less of an issue here because as Stephen points out, we've got less we've only got a few minutes with these girls, so we're not gonna get anything that deep and one of them's already got a poisoning plot in mind with uh so that's gonna kinda of dampen and, things and, anyway, so and, and obviously this follows on from the last episode where where so um I've forgotten her name, let me look at the notes again. So Yuki has got a touch of the um, Kathy Bates about her as well, hasn't she? I've we talked <laughs> We're just going to like see how many films we can tie into. <laughs> well, this it is. Now. It is. But it is. It, it's. It's. It's a very common trope in literature and in cinema. Yeah. Mm. Of the of of the enclosed space of the outsider, um, the, the the sick outsider who comes in. You know, do you? Dennis Potter's Brimstone and Treacle. I can I can do hundreds of these these things. It's a, it's a common trope, and they take this. It is very and they deal yeah. with it in four and a half minutes. Because mm -hmm. with misery, I mean, yeah, it's again, it's the object of of um, affection. It's obviously um, Kathy Bates has got the obsession with uh, James Carnes, writer. Back, I don't think we can compare Yuki to Anne from Misery. She's obviously Annie. not because. Ooh, <laughs> Oh, uh, Emily. <laughs> what about all... Yuki? I've got you all tied up, but it's okay. I'm going to lock the door though because you're not safe. <laughs> and, and and yeah, I, no, I got. No, some... you're seeing this, and I know why you are. And you're right. It's very reminiscent of those tropes in those movies. Mm. But I really love it because the fact that Yuki has a crush on Shuya has nothing to do with what happens in the lighthouse. It's not a catalyst nope. at all. You cannot blame it on that because that's so boring if that's the way, you know. It's... No, 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 sorry. It's not a direct... It is a catalyst, but it's not a direct thing. It's literally a catalyst because that is... That that him being there at all is what drives... Um... But he's not there because Yuki fancies him. He's there no, because the no. girls agreed as a group to rescue and save him. And it, well, as, that's what we that's what we assume because we don't see that because the other fellas dropped oh, him off there, Anthony. So we don't. So we don't. In the film, we don't know how he got there. I'm yeah. suspect. 
the manga and in the novel, it's explained that he's dropped off by the fella that that, that yeah. they, when they in the sea. So it looks like in the film, in the context of the film, he just wakes up and he's in bandages and he's trapped in bed. Well, he has the flashback, doesn't he? Because he's sort of like, yeah, he dropped you off him. You see him carrying him along the beach. That's right, yes. Um, And then we obviously have the... That ties into the the announcement they have, where we find out Misuku has killed those two guys, which Mm -hmm. in the manga is explained the fact that she plays them against each other because they capture her. Mm -hmm. And then she uses her feminine charms to play them against each other and then use the psychotic charms to kill them and we see them they've both been disemboweled which ties in with the book and we see the two best friends who turned on each other which again in the manga is because one of them lives off in this D world of her own and becomes uh distrustful of her friend mm-hmm. so they end up turning on each other in a uh, in one of the again it's one of the things you would love to see in the series just like one of those offshoot episodes like the um, Medusa Spider episode in Lost. Just a fun little offshoot episode that has nothing to do with anything else, but you could have that and you can have other episodes dedicated to Mitsuku and her activities. And um, and as you said, you could even do flashbacks to other characters and like their history and stuff. It would have been really, it would be really good. But on, do it's, it. Do it. <laughs> it's problematic material. I think because America is still in a climate where they're constantly having high school shootings yeah, and just general, general shootings, it's just a very problematic property to do. And you don't um, want an American adaptation of this anyway. You don't want this to come from America. But they would be the only ones who would be able to really do it. I, sort of they justice. can fund so have... it, but they give complete creative control over to Japan. Right. I don't, know, I, don't, I, don't, I don't mind. I would love a Japanese version. Yeah. Yes, of course. Obviously, no, that would, would be you, the dream. But you, well, you wouldn't because it would look like the worst TV show ever because Japanese TV shows are low production quality. I don't, I don't have a problem with people taking a story and turning it, uh, uh, Americanizing it or Britishizing it or Spanishizing it. Is that a thing? I don't know. It's now. Um, you know, because, 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 it, because Japan do that a lot anyway. China does that a lot anyway. They take a lot of Western things and 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 Asianify them. So that's fine as long as you treat the treat the subject material with respect and you um and you you know and you and you tell people what you're doing. You know, Kurosawa's Ram is 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 King Lear, right? No one says he they couldn't do that. Yeah. But then you think of like the Ring and the Grudge adaptations from America, and you're like, the Ring, the Ring is really good. The first Ring film, <laughs> is, I think, is one of the best. Ad- is is probably the only good adaptation of a Japanese property. Those <sighs> shall we dance, but that's a different thing. But yeah, the Grudge. But then I think the Grudge is very good. The original Grudge is very good. But yeah, and there was, but there's a whole host of things that came out of that around that time that were dire. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, I thought the ring they got, they got it, you know, they set it in the right sort of place. They got the right sort of mood. They did some weird things like rename it to Samara, but they, I thought they were respectful of the original and changed it just enough to make it worthwhile. But that'll to be, be our fair, next podcast. I didn't watch it because <laughs> I was very afraid, no, Gorf, and I Gorf couldn't Robinsky's. sleep in my room. For oh, weeks. bless. Now, Gorfinski's <laughs> first Ring film, I will stick up for. The sequel is a load of pants, and I've never seen oh, Rings. Um, right. But it, it, but it, it, but it's in, though. 
so we will see it soon, yeah, because that's another yeah. podcast we're going to be doing soon. <laughs> I'm not coming on. <laughs> I don't want to watch the ring. It's scary. <laughs> no scary films for Emily. No, it's so scary. Um, no, it's just the ring. It's just the ring, girl. She can fuck off. I don't want to play yes. with that. She's scary. She's visually <laughs> she's so, She's so frightening. And even just thinking about her now... Oh, God, yeah. there's a television behind me. I think it's more scary when she's got her um, clay face. Oh, God, it's on the wall, though, so she'd have to, like, drop down from the wall to the floor, and it'd be really awkward. She's got all those... Oh, God, I feel she bad need for the TV her. to appear, though. She Fuck off, don't tell me into... that. She can turn the world into TV land, as we see in no. room two. Because <laughs> no. um, they're, the, they're in the mental asylum, and they don't have TVs. In there, and then she just still appears. Yeah, so so that ring <laughs> too isn't very good either. But um, you haven't done anything. Just you wait till you see Sadako 3D2, mate. You just... Sounds <laughs> great. There's something... The 3D makes it sound so promising. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, how do, how do we get here? Oh, man. Oh, yeah, but talking about, you're talking about adaptations, wasn't it? Yes, and, of course. Um, so, yeah, I, I just... It, it's it's moments like this that frustrate me because there's been a, there's been a couple of times we've talked about this. I'd love to know more about some of these characters. Heck, I'd watch a Mitsuko solo miniseries. You know, there's, there's lots of lots of things we would do, but the 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 way a film works, you just don't get time to get into some of those characters. You have mm-hmm. to pick your favourites, and. Um, but the uh, but these guys all work quite well as a, as a group, yeah. It's a really interesting collection of individuals, and they are individuals. They're not all the same. They are, and I think that's what's so fun because Yuka is such a fun character, and she gets thirty seconds of screen time. Do you think she'd be fun, or would she drive you fucking insane, trapped in a lighthouse with her? No, but this <laughs> is the thing. Like she's happiness. so. <laughs> She's so overly innocent and so just like enthusiastic that it's completely separate to anything else that's happening on the island right now. Oh, which in. is why then it's so tragic. It's like the puppy got killed. She that's exactly what she is. She is the puppy. She is she she bounds in. Hello, oh I've just been outside checking. Oh look there's some soup. Yum 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 she swallows the poison <laughs> soup. And you just think you know, we meet her for what, ten seconds before she dies? Yeah. But you know everything about her. I think she would be incredibly annoying, but that's no. it. No, but all we've got, but we know, but we know that she is. Just because a woman is enthusiastic and do with, loud do does not make being, them annoying. Doesn't nothing to do with her, her gender. It's everything to do with her being noisy. <laughs> I've just, I've just set myself up in a world where I want to go and live in a lighthouse. The last time I need is anybody bouncing around like that. <laughs> well. I mean, obviously, we got uh, we got Tatsumichi who plots to who who we assume is the sole person behind this poisoning plot, and then we get the surprise reveal uh, that Satomi is also part of this plot, as she uh, reprimands her for screwing up a poisoning. Um, and I've wanted I can't remember who which is the one that slams the soup down on the table. <laughs> because um, they had to reshoot it. Is that it either Haruka or Chisato? 
Yeah, because um, when she slammed first time they shot it and she slammed the plate down, it flew off, hit the wall, and then hit one of the other actresses. Okay. So they had to move them away from the table when she did it. It's um, very dramatic. It's so, like you can't even handle a poisoning. <laughs> and in my head, like before we we, we watched this um, a couple of weeks ago, that. Um, I had in my mind that it was like there was like multiple soups and it was like um, in Kazuchaki where it was sort of like oh does she accidentally pick it up but no she just goes in dives in straight away and picks up the one poison soup and so. this is Yuko being really bad at trying to murder people she should have kept that soup close to her chest been like oh no this one's fishy I'm just going up there now and then none of yeah, this bullshit would have happened and she'd have just poisoned Shuya as she should have done as she delivered it, as she knocked on his door and opened the key, she's just poisoned him up there. Yeah, she, well, but then again, I guess you know she's a fifteen-year-old girl. I'm not expecting a fantastic, perfect murder. But perfect murders, yes. Columbo turns up and says, "Well, it was quite clearly." And this actress, <laughs> um, the Yuko Sakaki actress, is so good because the second um, Yuka uh, takes the soup, all you can do is watch Yuka and Yuko because everyone else is just having a really innocuous conversation and she's at the back clutching this plate and she is like wide-eyed staring at Yuka and Yuka is like absolutely nothing suspicious and I watch her every time and it is so late before she shows any sign of anything it's like you get a cut you get a close-up before she even starts spitting out blood and it's just that very small moment is so tense where you know she's eaten poison Yuko knows she's eaten poison and we're just waiting to see what happens and it's horrible it lasts forever even though it's only like 10 seconds of film yeah and I love when Satomi goes nuts because she like herself we talked obviously about Shuya having this like demonic sort of persona in the manga when um, he's seen killing uh, Tatsumichi. And when she like leaps up on the table and she's there screaming and stuff, she's got this real sort of like almost demonic face on her when she's just going like ballistic and like going crazy with her machine gun. And then, as you said already, it goes like very reservoir dogs. It's sort of like suddenly everyone has guns. Yeah. She just panics and like you get it because the initial shock, and again, you're just watching Yuko who's like petrified and it's so sad that none of them even consider that it might be her and she gets away with being shot at twice by like two different people because they're always just like oh it can't be you can it like it's not gonna be you Yuko and you're like it is her um but yeah so Satomi She's an insomniac, which they don't believe, and she doesn't have her sleeping pills, which is a really <laughs> poor way to pack a bag if you're going on a school trip and you need she them. She lost it. Um, and there's just that moment before anyone reacts, and they're just they're just in shock. And and it shows you. We talked about how this hey it's. They've been really sensible. They've created a little family unit. They've they've set up home, and 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 it's a protected from the rest of the world. But that is all predicated on some very slim 
<laughs> pressure. It, you know, do you know that the, the, it takes one event for it to fall yeah. apart completely, and it's it's not even the poisoning, is it? The poisoning they could have probably, you know, they could have still been pretty cool about, and eventually worked out it was um, Yuko. <laughs> but, but, but 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 because um. It's because, a pretty big because, betrayal within but, but, the group, because, though, isn't but it? Because Satomi is so on edge, mm-hmm. because she hasn't slept for days, because it's a high-pressure situation that maybe, I'm just putting words in her mouth, that the others aren't really appreciating or don't seem to be appreciating, mm-hmm. that, that's where it collapses. Yes, the the, the poisoning is is one of the things that, that kicks that off, but that I imagine anything could have kicked that off. We're going to get it's more... It's true. More, to the point that something something will kick it off, and she has been the, you know, she's been the tinder, the kindling to that tinder. Gosh. Yeah, it's such a fragile house of cards, and mm. I think if and you know, Yuka is the one. She brings the gun in with her from lookout, and she places it on the middle of the table, and then she dies next to it. So then there's a there's a machine gun of all the types of guns, of all the weapons there could be. There's a fucking machine gun on the table. Um, which adds to it as well, because if her fucking weapon was a boomerang or whatever, again, we wouldn't really be in this mess. And there's a moment where you think that if Yuki could have just stepped in and been like, right, I believe all of you that you didn't do it. So we need to figure out how this happened, what happened. Everyone turn out your pockets because then you know yuko would have the poison in her like skirt pocket or whatever and then they'd be like go upstairs the thing that confused me is i imagined that they knew that yuko's weapon was poison you'd have thought they'd have discussed weapons as one of the first conversation pieces you you, you, that's so so yeah but then i also wonder wasn't poison like an additional second weapon so they thought that her weapon was like something else that's been added to the pile of weapons and then she also was given poison as a weapon which and again how beautiful to be given poison and then find yourself in a sanctuary where food is being prepared because anywhere else on this game poison would be fucking useless unless you just chugged it as like Kiriyama or whatever his name is charges towards you because when could you poison someone on a battlefield? Oh yeah, it's it, it's 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 nearly as useless as a pan lid then, isn't it? Yeah, literally. Um, so again, it's just brilliantly like tragedy, like fucking Doll's House like vibes, just very like kitchen sink dramery of like. <gasps> <laughs> She's got the poison, and then and then it gets all Roberto Rodriguez, and then uh, the, you know people are flying across with guns, and it's it's very visually striking. I don't like how much underwear we see in this, and I don't know if it's just their uniform or if it was a choice where they were like, just we're just gonna keep the camera on you as you like flail it's, your legs about. Is this not? classic Japanese fan service though. It's not the it's not the it's not the showing of the bloomers making myself a nineteen twenties Edwardian. And like, are those <laughs> are those bloomers part of the school uniform? Do they uh, have like underwear think, that's part of the school uniform? I think they maybe do. I think that's part of the fetishistic nature of it, isn't it? <sighs> um 
So I'm, I'm, I'm guessing this is, this is, this is fan service. Let's, let's ask our, let's ask our anime expert. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> we turn now uh, to our hey, underwear hey, expert. Hey, Perv. Hey, Perv. What's going on? <laughs> I, I love the fact that th- this is the relationship we've now created where Stephen, we're like very much like the Pension Boys where Stephen's very much the Neil, ten- the Neil Tennant to this where he gets to be like the one who talks about the classy cinema and anything that sleazy gets thrown over to me. <laughs> Go on, Chris Lowe. Tell us about the panties. <laughs> if I was Chris Lowe, I'd just get to sit here and be quiet and play on my computer. <laughs> no, I, I'm, 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 I'm certain. It's a general sort of style um, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's sort of considered the, that sort of um, style that we, we've come to sort of expect from it. I don't would not expect them to have a uniform type of underwear. Um, I just think it's a particular, it's a popular style and a practical style is what I want to assume because it's one that we see constantly with that sort of uniform. Um, again, the upskirt sort of shot has been a reoccurring theme within Japanese cinema and even the motif of the Japanese schoolgirl. Um, there's even a book uh, like chronicling the fashion and history of Japanese schoolgirls. It's become sort of this iconic thing within Japanese cinema and anime, especially. I mean, we obviously have the schoolgirls and demon side of uh, anime that pretty much was the only thing we got here in the late eighties and early nineties. So we thought that uh, old anime was kind of a bit screwed up for a long time, but um, I mean, it's in, in, was it, um, What's that three-hour Sion Sono movie love called? Exposure. Uh, yeah, love Exposure. Love Exposure. There's a whole <laughs> the lead, subplot about well, the lead, upskirt yeah. shots. The lead character gets a job in taking upskirt photographs. Um, yeah, that's one we should introduce to Emily. Three and a half hours. <laughs> but it's a good three and a half hours. It's, it's, wow. it's, it's fascinating to hear her take on some of the things that happen in it. <laughs> my it's, take it's, would you know, be... You, that's illegal here in the UK. <laughs> I think it's illegal. That is a crime. I think it's oh, and you haven't even seen the classic yet. The that's classic. A, yeah, the classic's another of Stephen's favourite movies. It's also about three and a half hours. Oh, long. that's the title of the movie. I was like, the, what's the <laughs> no, concept? No, no. <laughs> was it like, oh, ah, yes, classic. The classic's the one. It's a romantic drama with tragic ending. Which whole whole aspect whole, whole bits of it about people having a poo. <laughs> wow. Go back to our archive and check that out. <laughs> um Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, she, the poison is actually a bonus weapon. Her main weapon was a telescopic baton. Does so anybody basically else like the police batons. Nope, she's the only one, and it's purely for plot devices. As I say, like it's so lucky that she's got it. So this can happen because it would serve no help to any other person in this game. Of course not. It's. I mean, this is this is the problem when we look at like the battle royale weapons that some of these weapon choices. It's hard to say whether they are useful or useless. Um, obviously, a pan lid, while initially can be said useless, is a very handy shield. Where darts. Unless you're planning on setting up a, a bar on the island, I think it's pretty useless. <laughs> That's what I would spend um, my time doing. 
Boomerang, again, is that a useless weapon or a useful weapon? I mean, obviously, if you watch Walkabout and Red Road, very useful weapon. It depends if you're an Aboriginal Australian yes. or not. Or frankly. Soccer from The Last Airbender. <laughs> or Captain Boomerang. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, what I love um, is the um, the fact that Satomi Noda actually is the, the second most deadliest person, and she has the like second highest kill rate after Mitsuka Suma if you consider that a couple of them are exchange students so they don't count um <laughs> so of the classmates she's like ranking at number two of the like most dangerous deadly person which again is so interesting because it it would not suit Yuko's personality just start shooting everyone up in her defense of trying to poison Shuya. So it's great that we have Satomi here who's like sleep deprived to just snap and end up killing like three people um, yep. and having like a brilliant kill shot herself. Like it's very, it's very Tarantino. <laughs> and we also gave us the shot of them all dead in the kitchen, which was one of the promo shots at Bizarre magazine used when they were when they were talking about the film and they were like one of the first publications to really announce Battle Royale as a, a title coming to the UK and they put the wonderful tagline of the synchronized suicide club rehearsals were not going well wow <laughs> um <laughs> Sosomi is obviously finally taken down by Haruka, who, again, if you read um, Angel's Border, has her own subplot, and she's secretly in love with Yuki. I'm gutted that that wasn't more uh, prominent in the movie, but I guess there just wasn't time. The whole lighthouse scene takes about 10 minutes, doesn't it, of the movie mm. overall, so we just didn't have time, but... It's just the problem with the film. You're trying to keep it as streamlined as mm -hmm. possible, and when you've got fifty odd characters, which I get, um, I do sympathise with that. That, but then, much like the Prisoner of Azkaban, why do we then spend bullshit time with Noriko down by the lake and the teacher putting an umbrella over her head and saying, "I always liked you." Uh, Fuck off. We've got characters that I care about that you're leaving important plot points about out to give more time for this shitty teacher character who's just <laughs> We've... creepy. Yeah, but the thing is, myself and Stephen, we've talked about this off-air, and we think we, I think we've generally come to the assumption that because it's uh, Beat Takashi Takano, the fact that they worked in these extra scenes because they had Beat Takashi Takano. Which um, is fine, which... but then make him... There's plenty of material for the teacher character from both the book and the manga that you could have drawn from. Oh, and I know you so... don't want to make him wholly evil because he's a sympathetic actor that everybody loves, just fucking do it, man. Like... I think in the film, in the film, they tried to give him like depth and they tried to give him a sort of justification. In the manga, in the book, he's just pure evil. In the manga, especially, he's disgusting. Yeah, he's awful. He's he's um... just he's just like a demon. Um, so so I, I yeah, get it I do I just think it's shit I think the fact that he likes Noriko is shit and I think that the fact that that is the entire driving plot behind Battle Royale 2 is shit I hate it I hate his fucking stupid picture I know you guys haven't got there yet but I just I hate it I hate his fucking stupid exercises I hate his fucking stupid water fist I hate him <laughs> 
Sorry, how do you how do you feel? <laughs> I'm not a fan. No. <laughs> so not a fan of Takashi's Castle then. Love. Which he also created. Takashi's Castle. God. That's his game show he created. So much time for Takeshi's Castle. That, yeah. that is on the television. But it's not, it's not being Takeshi you have a problem with. It's the character. <laughs> <laughs> in Katano. It's the adaptation of the teacher character in this version of Battle Royale. Considering yeah. the other two were so explicitly understandable. And if you wanted yeah. to make him sympathetic, go for it. But don't do it by making him like in love with Noriko. Like, that's just... I think with when it comes to his relationship with Noriko, he sees her as being like one of the few good students, mainly because He's she doesn't stab him in the daughter. ass. I know, but he also has a very detached relationship to his she's daughter. A bit of a the same as well, with his wife. She? She's a bit rude to him. Yeah, but she's then she's a... like, because she knows that he prefers like Noriko over her. Does like, she though? Spend some. Day... That's the whole plot of Battle Royale too. Yeah, that she's mad <laughs> with her dad that he preferred Noriko over her. But Battle War 2 is shit from oh beginning God, to end. so bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's like one of them. I know people that really love it and I just think it's the most boring that just take Battle Royale and that just take all the fun out of it. I like yeah. it into that third act. The third act's really kind of sticky but um, the first the first half really is good and the ends well. Um, and I like the actor that they bring in to play the teacher, whose name always eludes me, but he's in, obviously, Dead or Alive, and he's in a bunch of Yakuza movies. I think he's in Food of the New Generation as well. So, And I like that they up the stakes, you know, it's like they they do the like paired up thing so if your yeah. partner gets blown up so do you or whatever which again there was a character on the front cover that looked really cool and she dies in the first like five minutes in the like tester sequence and they're like oh <laughs> ah, thought she was gonna be cool but she's dead now um yeah. but yeah and sorry like the teacher has nothing to do with this scene which is again why i really like it it's a very self-contained you could you could literally write a play about the lighthouse you could literally you could. like you could, just you set could make... a play over the three days in the lighthouse, and it would it didn't matter what happened, you know, and it could end with um, uh, what's the name suicide, and it wouldn't matter what yeah. else was, what happened on the island. This this is yeah. just a, this is a story that happens in the world of battle royale, um, and I would not be upset about not knowing what was going on elsewhere yeah because it, it's just so you know it is like black narcissus it is a bit like misery it's just so self-contained and interesting and different from everything else um i think that's why it's so iconic and it's so beloved as a scene mm -hmm. because it's just something completely different and completely self-contained and when anyone's watched it it's a scene that they'll remember it will be yeah. one of the two or three scenes that they say, oh, yeah, that's the film with those girls in the lighthouse that will shoot each other up. And it so um, easily could have been cut. Like, Shuya could have not turned up at the lighthouse. We could have just heard over the tannoy well, that five girls cut, died. Yeah. Like, the next, well, time, we, the next time we see him, he's just all bandaged up and all a bit rough and ready and, and limping across the fields. Yeah. But we could have done that. We, we could have, we could have gone know, from the sea to the field. We could have cut the yeah. entire lighthouse out. That's how self-contained it is. It has no impact on the rest of the story. 
I think it's very important in Shuya's journey, though, the fact that he's the rise of the lighthouse is this broken, physically broken, and the breakdown of one of these last sort of like groups of normality, this sort of like one last sort of slice of like normal life that the lighthouse kind of represents being torn away, and especially as um, as he witnesses his classmate, she throws herself off the lighthouse. And that's sort of like the, what's required to break him sort of mentally so that when we see him and he's like trying to get back to uh, Nuriko, he's just like, he's just completely broken down at this point, both physically and mentally because of what um, happens at the lighthouse. And I think it's important to his journey um, and just, to, just so we can like fully put him in the worst case possible situation for his sort of like redempt road to redemption because up until that point as Stephen likes to point out he's been pretty useless <laughs> he's a very he's been pretty much inactive he's been there to, um and then he sort of like steps up at the clinic and uh obviously uh takes on Kuriyama which doesn't bode well for him but still he uh, leads him away from the clinic and ends up in this sort of situation where he's just like broken down in both uh both physically and mentally and it's it just what we needed in order to get to it and though you i agree you could obviously cut it out but i think it's it was important just to have like that one last chance at like some sort of normality on this island and it's just torn away definitely uh, because, and, and i would argue it's the same the reason and it's important for the audience for the exact same reasons um so I, i'm a huge fan of this scene i, I just think yeah like a lesser um, adaptation could have been like, eh, we'll cut it. And it wouldn't make a difference. Like, it would be the first thing that they would think to let go if there weren't people being like, we need it, otherwise we're going to be so depressed like the whole time. <laughs> it's also a fun shock, really, for the for the first time you watch it and you think, oh, look at this happy group of girls. What could possibly go wrong? Mm-hmm. And it's like, nope, secret poisoning plot. Yeah. And then uh, into some Rodriguez-style shoot-em-up action, which is pretty pretty cool stuff. Tragic, but cool. Yeah, it's that's and again, it's that flip from the sort of like happy home to the like warehouse at the end of Reservoir Dogs, and you're like, fuck, <laughs> this fucking island, man, this fucking game. <laughs> 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 you go all bit Sopranos down on us, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> and it does. It like, oh god, I just saw my TV through the crack in my door, and now I can just think of Samara coming through it. <laughs> um, yeah, it is. You're just like, <laughs> why? I was thinking about it earlier, and I was like, imagine, just imagine, your kids had been drafted into the battle royale program. And you'd just be sat there like, I hope they don't suffer. I hope they don't have to do something horrible to a friend. I hope they don't have to see their friends die. I hope they're brave. Or I hope they're not brave and they just throw themselves off a cliff at the first given moment. Like, what would you want for your child? You know? That, that, that feeds to my frustration with this whole thing as a concept, right? There's There's one thing that will inspire people to action and that's that's threatening their children 
Mm-hmm. It's one of those. It's one of those things that can make heroes out of, of cowards. That can make um, they can, they can, they can absolutely change someone's personality. Is this the, the the death of their child or the or the, or the threat on their child or something like that? Um, if if they were taking 30, 50 children away from a one hundred parents all the time, that's gonna that that's not a good thing. Though I, I know that. As it turns out, according to the novel and the manga, that half these kids are the children of dissidents anyway. <laughs> well, we say that, but if you look at the opening sort of scroll, it says that you know society was on is on the brink of collapse. The adults are fearing kids who have basically become wild and reckless, and we see this obviously with the the class who decide to take the whole day off because it's not a basketball day, and you get the sort of idea that you know that these kids are so so for the most part we assume they're all so wild and stuff so the fact that the fact that a child children are being taken away it's sort of like the government doing something and teaching them a bloody lesson by killing and the, the, them and also I know, like the... i feel that's just a movie thing where they're like took the day off because <laughs> in the book it feels a lot more like you know as i'm sure you guys know like the inspiration came from the author growing up in a war-torn country and having armies invade oh, yeah. school classrooms at the time and the fear How of many... that i don't think it like i don't like that the movie plays on this like <laughs> the kids are not all right so we need to systematically murder them it's but like, you have a look dudes. at Japan as as a whole, and like with the pressure that they have on their education system, that you have to succeed, you have to do well, and this you have like these youth groups uprising, and you have them forming like these Akira style biker gangs that you see, um, like like documentaries about, and the fact that you have these like kids uprising and with Battle Royale, it kind of takes that same energy pushes it to an extreme it's fair i would love a battle royale 3 which is the like underground parent rebellion where they're like we're sick of the government taking our kids and making them fight for each other we're gonna stop the br act we're gonna do it we've got a guy in the government who's gonna try and get it in on the inside and then we're like and they all have the different backstories one of them is like the parent of a winner and one of them's the parent of obviously a loser and like i'd really i'd watch the shit out of that that'd be great because that's what wild seven essentially are the, the all the winners of the previous games who unite to form this sort of terrorist front to take down the government but i'd like the parents wild to get seven. involved i know because... and it's stupid that uh right, named think... his group after his guitar yeah <laughs> i think it, it you're right i think there would be a problem with it and you know much like the hunger games obviously the, there's place there's things so... in place so yeah. that the parents don't rise up and they get murdered themselves or silenced or raped or whatever. Um, mm. So, uh, you know, they have this element of control over it in that sense, but that's why I think there'd be like an underground like neighbourhood watch of adults that are like, fuck this, man. Like, I had four kids and they're all dead now. Um, I'm not going to stand for it. We're going we're gonna to break into the government or whatever rather than the kids doing it because it's just playing like if the kids are violent and out of control why do we sympathize with them when they then have to kill themselves i want to see a battle royale free with zooey de chanel as the evil figaro 
<laughs> that's, that's my fault. I just want to see a play. Now, now I'm like, now we're obviously like spinning, spitballing ideas here. I just want it's like, how good would Zooey de Chanel with those doe eyes be if you just made her really evil? Yeah, especially because so. she always plays like caregiving roles. Well, that's the thing. She's the um, the free spirit. She's dream girl. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So if you take that and then make her have that front, but she's just evil. Well, it's like Anne Hathaway being in the latest Witches, I guess. It's that sort of take the doe-eyed princess and make her into mm-hmm. an evil person. Um, yeah. But what, like, why, what, what would the evil person be? I don't just like a katana style role, right? We just have it that you know, say America's decided to to take an example from Japan or something. Um, I don't know. We, this is like if we did like a, a, a an English adaptation or something. I again, I just just some sort of setup where we can just have her as, as that katana style. If it's set in America, we figure. have to consider things like is she a government official? Um, there's mm. a lot less women in government, so how did she get there? What's her backstory? Why is? And I'm not trying to be like, it's just it's more likely if it's a man. Um, but just, like, it, the, but it, back, it the would reason be, she's and there. therefore, like, you really have to give okay. her a reason, and she has to be more like, I don't know, the reason like, she's there because that's how I fucking wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> not good enough. <laughs> Um, I don't want just a woman who's this, evil. Like, give me a reason. I just, I, uh, and it's not because I'm like, oh, women have wombs and it hurts every time they see a child die. Like, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that, like, you know. I don't know. The rise of the independence her... has made me reconsider that. So, sorry. The rise of the independence movement. These uh, people who want the fa- idea of family redefined so that if you're a, a couple, you can still be classed as a family. You don't need to have children to be classed as a family unit. So these people who choose to actively not have children. Is Sorry, is this a, a real thing that you're referring to? Yes, yes, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. If you go on um, the Debatable podcast, there's uh, he did an episode with two of his friends who were independents, and this is what they were talking about. So this isn't some weird thing I'm making up at, you know half past 12 on a Saturday <laughs> night so uh, oh okay so like, it's like you can pay the family price for Legoland and not have to have kids with you it's where you're classed as a family unit so you can class yourself as a family unit even though you don't have kids because the traditional family unit would be that you know you have you 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 know you have kids mm-hmm. and and the uh, the two adults that would be the traditional family unit and they're saying that you should be able to still ha- clash yourself as a family unit without having to have kids. So. Okay, I think that's fair. What's stopping them from doing that? And in what way are they going to want to... So, yeah, I do don't they, know. Do, they, do they feel yeah. they're missing out on the, on the parking that... spaces at the front yeah. of the yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, it's just the idea that, uh, you, that, you know, it's sort of like society says you, ha- you can only be considered a family if you've got kids. And they're saying, well, we don't want kids. We want think... to just have but dogs and stuff. I don't isn't, think no, that that's a thing. Isn't, isn't, well, I think it is, but that's just what the noun means. I will send over the. Um, <laughs> I'll send it over to you, and you know, then you can listen to it. That's, and like, then... that's like saying this: this animal with four legs and fur and a tail that's a cat. That's the name we've given that thing. 
you can't just decide to call your dog a cat because you feel that you prefer you the bird. You can. We're getting way but off topic I, here. It's just interesting. I think, yeah, okay. like... I will send over I the, the thing to you and st- you can, can listen to the argument. You still refer to yourself as a family if it's just you, your wife and your dog. Like, and people will be it's like... it's more just the people, the wanting society to more recognise it. I think there yeah. are what you call there are bigger things it's... that society needs to sort out than that. Well, you know, this is... This is why we have... This is why we have seniors. Fucking millennials. <laughs> but we haven't got enough know people we've got with... one here. <laughs> We're we've destroying the doily industry. Fuck <laughs> <Not> you. <laughs> We're taking them down. Uh, anything else you want to talk about this chapter? Well, we haven't really talked about what happens at the end when, when poor... Um, Yuko. Poor, uh, poor, poor Yuko. Um has survived this this bloodbath um all her friends are dead she's um well she's basically gotten away with murder um mm-hmm. not in the way she's... and what she does she goes upstairs and luckily frees shoya because yeah. oh yeah that could have been like a real stand moment couldn't it <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely this could have been a this could have <laughs> changed the whole film could have gone very differently if she if she hadn't decided to do that before throwing herself off the top of the lighthouse and and killing herself in a very in a very visually interesting albeit as i know we've talked about before um impossible manner she, she couldn't yeah afford- it's, it's oh yeah, we're talking romantic. yeah the distance, isn't it, from the top of the lighthouse to the rocks? Um, it, and she's just sort of laid shifts. out like Sleeping Beauty, just sort it's of. It's just more just the blood. distance, um, but yeah, it's it's it. Her death, her sort of like death, is sort of very cinematically shot, and it's sure. very sad. Um, like I always get upset because it's. She is such a good actor. He's so good, and she's so good with her like apology. And then she runs. He spots the kitchen massacre, and they have. I'm. I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of every time they put pull quotes and text on the screen in this movie. I think some of them are like annoying. Um, but this one's quite poignant, and this one's quite nice because he's just no. so frustrated with everything. Although makes no sense. Why does it make no sense? Because in the previous times, so what the, the script on the screen is meant to be people's last thoughts before they die. And in the previous times, the characters have had some kind of relationship with each other. So even though they can't really read someone's mind, you can imagine like when um, Chigasa and her, her mate, you know, when she dies in his arms and she, mm-hmm. she you know, she, she has his final they're having that final moment that maybe things that don't need to be that, that aren't don't have to be said but are, are known to be meant are, mm-hmm. are part of this this is where two characters who have no relationship with each other have a conversation through this that, that's what it looks like i think what it means it, it's not that's not what it's trying to show it's trying to show that both of them are, are, are feeling very similar thoughts from completely yeah, different it's, sides of the situation the, but it's the, weird <laughs> yeah it's because the thoughts aren't coming from the dead person now they're coming from Shuya she is recalling the last conversation he had with Yuki and he's I always took it I like it because it's different because it has more drama to it because he looks along he looks upon this massacre 
and he looks at her and he recalls the last thing she said to him, which was like, oh, I know a lot about you. You know what that means, don't you? And he's like, no. She's like, oh, <laughs> never mind. Um, and then he like looks at and of course he knows what it means. And he's he's now thinking straight and he's so angry and upset and frustrated with the whole situation. As Elwood pointed out, it's a real sort of breaking point for him that he conjures up that line again in his head where it's and it's pulled onto the screen of like you know what that means don't you and he's like no i don't know what it means and i never will now because you're dead and like i do know what it means but like i wish you were alive to tell me and not because like i love you but because i'm just so annoyed that you're dead that you were fine and now you're all dead and it's really layered and interesting and sad and then he runs up to the lighthouse and they have that weird bit where like the minute he steps outside the camera like pulls back really like abruptly and you're like mm. okay choices and then like immediately spots her and the music's like Rah! um and she's dead on the rocks and you're just like oh <laughs> and it's just a brilliant end to a brilliant sequence so sad and it's so good and it's so well done and it's so well acted bravo and that was the end of the episode because <laughs> <laughs> we, we can't we can't follow that can we Edward? <laughs> sorry yeah um so yeah, that uh, I think on that note that brings us to the end of tonight's episode. Thank you again for listening, and thank you very much to our special guest Emily for joining us tonight. Thank you, I love this scene. Big fan, big fan. Um, obviously at the moment you are a lady with many projects on the go. Uh, anything you want to to plug, especially? Um. Why This Film Podcast does have a Patreon. If you want to head over there, patreon.com forward slash why this film podcast. Uh, you can join my three patrons um, in one of the <laughs> tiers. Or just hey, check on. them out, see what bonus material and stuff available there is to you across the uh, the tiers there, if you fancy it. And if not, just head over to the Why This Film Podcast platform anyway to have a listen to some episodes, because they're all good, in my opinion. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. You can listen to Stephen share his love for Logan's Run. You can over the course me... of three hours. <laughs> you can hear me geek out about Mortal Kombat at a reasonable, like just under an hour. Yeah, um, just you wait to hear me talk about Barbie Swan Lake. <laughs> <laughs> so, but no, thank you again, Emily, for coming on. Um, it's really been great having you on as always. Whoop, whoop. Um, if you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe button where you happen to be listening to us. You can follow us on Instagram, we are on Twitter, and we are also on Facebook. The Facebook page in particular is a really fun hangout. We've got uh, some fun discussions happening there, and we tend to post something new every day, not only relating to Asian film, but Asian pop culture as well. And we also put all the latest announcements um, up there as well for any of the big titles coming out from the big houses, such as Arrow and Terracotta and Fairwind so um, a good place to keep us logged into um, if you uh, 
Oh, you can also check out our full archive episodes at asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com and check out our main show, the Asian Cinema Film Club, where each episode, myself and Stephen, taking turns to pick a film to discuss. Um, we've got some really great episodes currently in the can, so uh, hopefully you'll enjoy checking those out as well. But uh, again, thank you always for listening. Thanks to my co-host Stephen and special co-host Emily. And uh, we will be back next time with... Or whatever it was. We'll be back, yes, we'll be back with chapter 17, A Dream. But until then, good night. Good night.